Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Friends, I'm so excited that this morning we have an opportunity to spend some time in God's Word together, but so that all of this may be done to the glory of God, I want to invite you to join me in prayer this morning. We're actually going to be using some of our scripture passage to lead us into this this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, what we know is you have reminded us in your Word. Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, as we study your word this morning, may we be filled more and more with knowledge and depth of insight. May our love for you and our love for this world where you have placed us grow so that, Lord, we may be found indeed blameless when Jesus Christ comes again, that together we may join with all of heaven and sing joy to the world. Let the earth receive her King. King Jesus, be present in this place today, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that in your most wonderful and matchless name. Amen. And amen. All right, I want you to finish this phrase together with me. It goes something like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Where? Right. You know, there's an old joke that's told of a pastor and a priest that were standing on the side of a road. They held up a sign, and the sign says, Turn back, the end is near. A gentleman drove by quickly in his car. He rolled down his window and said, You guys are nuts. And he rounded the bend, and suddenly they heard a loud screech followed by a splash. And the priest turned to the pastor and said, do you think our sign should have read bridge out instead? (laughs) You know, if you didn't figure it out yet, we are entering into a new sermon series together this morning that is all about joy. Uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Today, as we start this series, uh, studying together the book of Philippians on joy. I pray that we're going to discover what does it mean for us to find joy, to know joy, and to experience joy. You know, whenever a friend comes to faith in Jesus and they wonder, where do I start? I'll always say, when they're going to the scriptures, if you're going to start somewhere, pick a gospel. Start there. Learn about the life of Jesus. So we'll oftentimes go through a gospel together. Sometimes we'll use the gospel of Mark because it's the shortest. 
And then I'll say, pick another book. And if you want to pick another book about how we experience life together, what does it mean for us to live out the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, I'll often say, why don't you use the book of Philippians? And so let's study the book of Philippians together because so much of it has to do with the joy that we experience with knowing Jesus. And that's what I pray we discover together today, how we can know this joy in what we experience this joy where we experience this joy and what i pray we discover together today and throughout this series is indeed how we can have the joy 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 down in our hearts and as we begin together today i want to start by saying i do believe that we have a joy crisis in our culture. Despite increasing wealth, despite materialism, despite increased recreation, despite antidepressant drugs, despite being able to even gather here to worship together, despite your favorite sports teams advancing, despite all of the things that are supposed to fill us with joy, Many of us are not experiencing joy because the reason is this because while I'm sharing with you all the reasons why we can experience joy you are thinking to yourself inflation you're thinking oh store shelves that seem to be empty car lots that seem to be empty you're thinking politics you're thinking war, you're thinking culture war, you're thinking suicide and unemployment and underemployment, you're thinking increased drug usage, you're thinking health issues. In fact, many of you have probably made a mental checklist of all of the reasons why you cannot seem to find joy. And yet, when people are asked, studies continuously show when they are asked, what they want most out of life, they always respond either joy or happiness. More than, important than wealth, more important than health, more important than status, more important than fame, even more important than sex, people put joy and happiness at the very top of their list. And so while we want to experience joy, Many people are not experiencing joy. There is a crisis in our culture. In fact, it is said that only 19% of people, when studies are done, claim that they are deeply happy or deeply joyful. It's said that 25% of Americans, one in four people, would say, in fact, that they are deeply depressed. This is not just an American phenomenon. Even people in Europe, 27% of people claim that they are deeply depressed. The World Health Organization predicts that by 2030, that depression will be the leading cause of disease burden globally. So here's the thing. Is it a fact, is it a fact that then joy is just really overrated? Is it unattainable? Like, are Christians, are we seeking something that we shouldn't be seeking? Should we be seeking more things like service, or sacrifice, or holiness, or godliness, or goodness? Should we be seeking any other fruit of the Spirit as opposed to joy? Is seeking joy as Christians just the result of a culture that seems to be obsessed 
with happiness. I would argue that as you and I look at Scripture, that the answer is no. I believe that as we study together the book of Philippians, we are going to see why experiencing joy and how we can experience joy is so profoundly important. In fact, if you look at the book of Galatians, Paul, as he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice joy is at the top of the list right after love. Now, I'm not saying in any way that the fruit of the Spirit is listed as if it is some order of importance Though it does make sense that love would come first, that all of the other fruit flows out of love. When Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is, he says, first and foremost, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, to love your neighbor as yourself. What's interesting about joy being so important is because it is really a state of being. You think of all the other fruit of the Spirit, you know, it's about doing something, doing goodness, showing patience, being kind. But really, joy is really a state of being. It's something that you really can't necessarily do. Everything else flows, in a sense, out of joy. It serves all of these other characteristics. Joy is something that is happening deep within. In fact, David Myers, a Christian psychologist and author, has said it this way. It is possible, it, it, it is the people who are consistently in negative moods, joyless people, who are the most likely to be self-occupied, self-absorbed, the least likely to serve, and the least likely to love. In experiment after experiment, people who are highest in joy are also the most likely to help people in need. And my sense is that what he's doing is reflecting what Paul is talking about, that joy is really connected to all of the other fruit, that you can't be loving and gentle and good without joy. It's joy that increases your capacity to love. It's joy that increases your capacity to serve. It's joy that gives you a selfless life of service to see others as more important than yourselves. In fact, in one of the greatest books that perhaps has been written in modern day about this subject, John Piper, in his book called Desiring God, makes the case for what he calls Christian hedonism. And he bases it on the Westminster Confession, question and answer 1a, as well as all of these other scriptures. Listen to it. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's based on passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where it says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Notice, he's not saying do it all to the glory of God when you're doing something godly. Do it all to the glory of God when you're doing something holy. Paul is saying whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. And so what Piper does is he changes one simple word, this word and, and he changes it to by. He says we glorify God by enjoying him forever. In fact, the idea is that to miss out on joy is to miss out on your reason for existence. C.S. Lewis says it this way, joy 
is the serious business of heaven. And I believe that joy is a part of God's plan for your life. Why? Because joy is at the very heart of who God is. God has this infinite capacity for joy. Some of us are going to struggle with that because when we think of God, we think of God as holy. We may think of God as just. We may think of God as love. We may think of God as wrathful. Most of us do not think of God as being a being of joy. Yet, when the angels appear to the shepherds, what is it that they say? They say, we bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And Jesus says of himself in John chapter 15, 11, he says, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Jesus demonstrates what it means for us to have joy even when he was suffering. Piper says, you will not understand God unless you understand this about God. God is the happiest being in the universe. And that's why I think it's so important for us to see joy as essential to the Christian life because joy shapes the way we live. Joy shapes the way we love. Joy shapes the way in which we work. Joy shapes the way in which we worship. Joy even shapes the way in which we witness. How many of you have those stories of reading to your children when they were young, Winnie the Pooh, right? And how many of us know Winnie the Pooh's good friend, this pessimistic, down, depressed donkey friend named Eeyore? Now, could you imagine Eeyore saying to Winnie the Pooh, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be complete, right? Winnie the Pooh would probably say, no thanks. <laughs> and if that's the way we operate, I mean, could you imagine being a joyless follower of Jesus and then trying to witness and saying, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be complete, the joy that I have in Jesus, I want you to have? But if you're not experiencing that joy, why would anybody else say, yeah, that's what I want for my life as well. Now, before we enter even further into this discussion, whenever we talk about joy and this subject matter, we always try to make this distinction between joy and happiness, right? Happiness comes based on our happenings. It comes based on our happenstances. And you and I know that we have those moments where we experience much happiness. We experience good things that are happening to us. But what happens when things don't go the way in which we want? When we don't like what's happening to us, if, if our happiness is based on our happenings, then it can come and go based on whatever we are experiencing in the moment. But joy is something deeper. Joy is something that cannot be taken away from us. And thankfully, the book of Philippians tells us about where we can find our joy, in what we can find our joy, in who we can find our joy. And what we discover together is that joy ultimately comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I know that's a lot of setup, 
But we're going to be spending the next few weeks together in the book of Philippians. So I want to give us just a little bit of background so that we understand, well, what are we going to be talking about? So if you've brought your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up this morning. We're going to be spending some time together in Philippians chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, I do want to give you at least a little bit of background context so you understand what it is that we're reading together. Uh, Paul was writing to the Philippian church to Philippi. It was a, a church that was established during his second missionary journey. He wrote this book around 61 AD as a way of saying thank you to the church for supporting him. Paul, by the way, is writing this letter from a Roman jail cell or probably a, more like a house arrest. So I want you just to keep that in mind, that he's writing a letter about joy, and he's doing it as he talks about this in chains. And so as we study Philippians chapter 1 together, especially this morning, we're going to do it maybe a little bit differently. We're going to talk about the things that maybe steal our joy away. We're going to see Paul talking about all of these different areas and reasons why he could have joy, but if he has joy for these reasons, a lot of times we say, well, then if I don't have these things, then I'm not going to be able to experience joy. But what I hope we see is how Paul was able to experience joy, whether or not he even had these things. So if you're following along and taking notes, this is the first idea this morning. Sometimes we feel like our joy is being stolen away when people don't partner with us. All right, when we feel like people are not partnering with us. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 3 to 6. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul begins his letter by talking about joy, and he's joyful for the people who have chosen to partner with him. And it makes sense, right? Because we're always the most joyful when people choose to partner with us, to walk with us, to pour into us. And Paul is saying, look, I believe that this joy is going to be made complete. God is going to fulfill it until the day that Jesus Christ comes again. So here's the thing, though, is if you and I feel like our joy is based on whether or not people choose to partner with us, what happens when the opposite happens, right? How many of you experience that you feel like you're pouring into other people, but they don't pour into you? You're giving of yourself, and they're not giving to you. You're serving them, but they're not serving you. When that begins to happen, a lot of us feel like our joy is being taken away from us. Of course, what we need to realize is ultimately, who is the source of our joy? The truth is this. Your joy cannot be found in other people. Because people are going to let you down. People are going to hurt you. They're going to say things to you. They're going to do things to you. They're going to accuse you of things. They're going to assault your character. If you received our newsletter this week, you saw this. I put this in my, my article. You know, you've, have you ever heard that phrase? You know, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. Right? 
I mean, that's one of the things that sometimes we say and we see is we know people are going to let us down. And if we're placing our joy in other people, when other people let us down, then guess what? We're going to feel like our joy is taken away from us. It's only when we find our joy in the person of Jesus Christ that none of this can be taken away from us. And believe me, Paul would understand this. All you have to do is go back to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there is an argument that begins to take place between Paul and Barnabas. They're getting ready for their missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. But Paul has said, John Mark has abandoned us in the past, and so I don't want to take John Mark with us. And you can see there is such a deep division that takes place between Paul and Barnabas that Barnabas goes his own way, and he takes Mark with him, and Paul goes his own way, and he ends up taking Silas with him. Now, can you imagine this? Do you think that Paul would have felt abandoned? I mean, in that moment, somebody that he has worked alongside Barnabas has not only chosen Mark and said, I don't choose you, Paul, and has gone off in an entirely different direction. My sense of if I was like Paul, I would have been deeply hurt, deeply wounded, deeply depressed by the fact that somebody that you had poured into has now made a different choice. Any one of those things probably would have stolen away my joy. And yet, as we're going to learn in just a couple of moments, because Paul places his joy in Jesus instead of in other people, he's able to find joy no matter what the situation. When we get to verses 15 to 18, Paul comes to the place where he's like, look, I'm joyful even for the people who are partnering with me because if they're advancing the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ, then in the end it's all okay. He's like, I don't, I don't even care about their motives. And you understand how he's able to arrive then at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Eventually, Paul comes to the place where he says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. The same guy who had abandoned them earlier, Paul is now saying, you know what? Mark has proved himself. I, I do believe that he should come. He's ministered to me. He's been a benefit to me. But Paul could only take this view if he sees the larger picture and if he says, Jesus, I place my trust in you. My joy is in you. And so then I'm able to view other people with that same joy. Paul is able to say, you know what? I am joyful, God, when you bring people to me. And I'm even joyful when you send people away. How, how many of you have ever been into a, an office and you've seen a sign that says something like this? Everyone brings joy to this office, some when they arrive and some when they leave. <laughs> right? But this is the view that Paul is able to take. He's saying, Lord, when people come, it's good. When people go, it's good because I know that in the end, Jesus, your kingdom is being advanced. So, you know, when we have things where people let us down, where people hurt us, let's remember that our joy is not found in other people because people are going to let us down. But if you find your joy in Jesus, 
then even when people let you down, you're not going to let it steal your joy away because you know ultimately your joy doesn't come from them. Your joy comes from Jesus. And so then you're able to see things in a different way. That's the first thing. I want you to see a second thing. Sometimes we feel like our joy is being stolen away from us when we feel like we are in chains. Sometimes, see, I hear that, right? Sounds like we are in chains together this morning. Listen, listen to what it says in verses 7 uh, to 11, and then we're going to drop down to 12. It says, see, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Then we read this prayer together as we began. Dropping down to verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now remember, Paul is writing a letter where one of the main themes of it is joy and he's doing it from house arrest. He's talking about these things, saying, even though I am in chains, I got to be honest, I don't know if I would be able to find my joy about my situation if I was having to do it from prison or even from house arrest. Come on. I complain when my back hurts. Like, I complain when I don't get enough sleep. You know, I, I complain when the work seems too hard. I complain when uh, my heart does crazy things. I mean, I complain when I get the flu or when I get a cold, right? You, you and I, I, I hope I'm not alone in that. We experience this. We, we do a lot of complaining. And yet it's not just about our health issues. Most of us complain when we feel like there are other people who have it out against us. We complain when we feel like our family is falling apart, when our finances are underwater and our bank account is dry. How many of us complain when it feels like our bosses are breathing down our necks? I mean, when is the last time you looked at any trial that you faced and said, oh, this is good? Right? Most of us don't look at life that way. We look at things as though they are curses instead of blessings. But this is the amazing thing about Paul. Paul is grateful for his chains. He says, I am thankful for my trials. I mean, he's happy in the midst of his circumstances. Now, do you think this is because Paul is just like a wide-eyed optimist? You know? Oh, like, uh, Paul is kind of a, a glass half full kind of guy. Like, Paul is like a my cup runneth over type of guy. Like, I don't even see that about him. Look at what he says again in verse 14. How can he take such a view of this? This is crazy. He says, and because of my chains. 
Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Underline because. Circle because. Notice he says, because of my chains, I am thankful. Because of my chains, I see a way in which the gospel is advancing. Because of my chains, I see these tribulations that I am experiencing and going through as a way to share the hope of Jesus Christ. Paul does not view these curses as curses. He views them instead as blessings because they advance the gospel. Let's be honest, when is the last time any of us viewed life in that way? When's the last time any of us looked at a sin pattern in our life as an opportunity for redemption and gospel proclamation? When's the last time that we looked at at an illness as an opportunity to show that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whether or not you live or die? When's the last time that you looked at a financial burden as an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus Christ and his ability to provide? When's the last time you saw suffering as an opportunity to draw you closer to the heart of Jesus and to be able to witness to others through that suffering. See, whenever you and I suffer, whenever we feel like we are in chains, it's actually an opportunity to put our trust in the Lord and to be able to proclaim his gospel without fear. But that's only something that's going to happen if you find your joy in Jesus. It's not about happiness. It's about something that is deeper. It's about joy. Notice a third area. Sometimes when we feel the motives of others, they can become barriers to joy. Sometimes we look at the motives of others and we we feel like that too is a barrier to joy. Notice, let's go to verse 15. Paul says, It is true that some preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But notice what he says. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. How many of us have ever been hurt by someone else? How many of us have ever felt like our motives have been questioned? We all have. And and when that happens, how do we feel? What's our response? Most of us get offended. We get angry. We try to get that person back because if they hurt us, well then guess what? I want to hurt them too. If they said this to me, well I'm going to make sure I respond in kind. Because I want them to feel the same pain that I am experiencing in this moment. Or we stew on it for a bit. right? We hold this anger within our hearts. We want to psychoanalyze. Well, if this person did this 
to me. It's obviously because they're dealing with this. And, and then what we try to do is instead of showing compassion to that person, it's like we want to store up these reasons and get back at them. We, we psychoanalyze their motives. And we, we try to judge them, whether we know all the facts or not, whether it's true or not, whether we have it right or not. And yet the one thing I have learned over the years is that when people often attack me or say things to me, it may not always be about me. There may be something behind it all that I need to be aware of. Or at least, even if I'm not aware of it, understand that sometimes you are the lightning rod for what somebody else is going through in their lives. And so instead of taking it personally, step back, give it to Jesus and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to entrust this to you. Notice, by the way, Paul, Paul doesn't seem to care about any of this stuff. He's not going to let other people's motives be barriers to his joy. Paul says, look, some of the people are doing things out of goodwill. He says other people are doing it out of rivalry. He's like, look, they're taking advantage of the fact that I'm in prison, that I'm under house arrest, and so I really can't do much or say much of it. They're taking advantage of the situation. They're trying to build their own reputations. They're trying to make a name for themselves. But look at the view Paul takes. He's like, if it advances the gospel, it's all good. I don't care. He said, if they're sharing Jesus, I'm not going to let their motives steal away my joy. And I think there is such wisdom here for us in this, you know, that we need to show care and instead of questioning other people's motives. Take a bigger picture and look at the kingdom and the cause of Christ. I, I don't know what that might look like for you. Uh, you know, it, it can take different forms. Let's say you're, you're teaching and you know, somebody raises questions about the way in which you're teaching or what you're saying. You can get offended by it, or you can actually step back and say, well, you know what, if it's actually advancing the knowledge of students, whether I'm right or not, it's okay, I don't care. You know, you may feel like your boss is like breathing down your neck, and that there's other people at work who are trying to take advantage of you. You can get upset about it, you can get frustrated by it, or you can say, well, actually, maybe it's refining me. Maybe it's helping me to think thing about things a little bit differently. Or in the end, if it's good for the company, it's okay. I'm okay with it because in the end, it's for the betterment of what we're trying to do together. The, the point is, you and I can often allow other people and sometimes what we think about their motives to steal away our joy. But in the end, what Paul is reminding us of is don't allow other people's motives to take away your joy. If in the end it is advancing the work and the cause of Christ, find your joy in that and rest in that. And then I want you to notice the fourth thing. It's the barrier of death. Right? Sometimes we feel like death is going to be something that steals away our joy. Notice what Paul says in verses 20 to 26. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will remain fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you, uh, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You know, you and I have a tendency to think that, that death is the last and final barrier. We think that death has the last and final word. We all know people who have been taken away from us. We all have had health issues. Many of us that perhaps cause you to stare death in the face. And many of us even fear death. But not Paul. Paul didn't look at death as a barrier. He said, look, if I die here in prison, that's all good. Because then I get to go and be with Jesus. And he says, if I live, then it's all good. Because I get to preach Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? But is that the way we look at death? I think sometimes we go to funerals and, you know, all we feel is the sadness. And sometimes we feel that this is the ultimate barrier to us being able to find joy. But if you and I understand that death does not have the last word, that life does, that Jesus does, then what we see is that death isn't a barrier at all. Because what happens is this, in life, we get to preach Christ crucified. And in death, even in death, we get to preach Christ resurrected. So whether we live, or whether we die, it is all for Christ. See, I, I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of joy that can't ever be taken away from you? See, because if, if all we are looking for in life is happiness, then whenever we experience one of these barriers, one of these things, we're going to feel like it steals away our joy. But if we find our joy in the pursuit of Jesus Christ, then none of these things can take away that joy. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, what? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can take away our joy when our joy is in Jesus. 
Loving people, I don't know what it is that you are going through. I don't know what it is that you are struggling with this morning. I know that each of us are experiencing things that may seek to control you, that may seek to take away the happiness that you are experiencing. But I pray that as we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we will be able to experience a joy that no barrier can steal away. May that be so for each and every one of us this morning. Friends, as we began this sermon and prayer, preaching, praying through the scriptures, I invite us to close and doing so with the close of Philippians chapter 1. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we know that Paul exhorts us and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle I saw you had, and now I hear you still have. Lord, we pray this day that we would live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel so that, Lord, whether you come back today or whether you come back a thousand years from today, that, Lord, we as your people would be found faithful, living by your Spirit, striving together to live the gospel life. Lord, may we not be frightened by those who oppose us. May we not be frightened by the things that seek to steal away our joy, but may our hope and our confidence only come from you, Lord Jesus, today and every day. May we experience the life, the joy-filled life, that is only possible through the amazing love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that in his most wonderful and matchless name. Amen.